Well, hey there, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we are tackling a big one, imposter syndrome. Uh, this is a topic that I'm sure will come up a few more times on this podcast, but we're going to start it off today with just talking about what it is, how it comes up for people, some common examples, and I'm going to give you a couple of facts, a couple of truths that we know about it. And then we're going to dive into three activities that you can do to start lessening any of the imposter thoughts that you might having, any of the imposter feelings that might be coming up for you. So get ready because we are going to start tackling imposter syndrome. Well, hey there, I'm Liz St. Jean, and this is the Unruly Leadership Podcast where I help subject matter experts like you design a career on your terms. It's where strategy meets intuition to help you break the rules, ignore the rules, and make your own damn rules. So let's break free from perfectionism, imposter thoughts, and that inner rule keeper that's keeping you in your career comfort zone. It's time to become unapologetically you and step into the life you were meant to live. We're going to talk presence, productivity, career, and having it all. Or, as my four-year-old would say, we're going to take over the world. So let's get to it. Well, hello there, friend. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I did want to mention that I have a free workshop coming up for you that I want you to register for right now. It is called From Eclipsed to Supernova, and it's all about a three-step plan to stop second-guessing yourself so that you can show up fully every day and confidently advance your career. So head on over to my website to register, and the website address is themint.com ambition.com. All right, so with that, let's jump into this episode's content. So this episode is all about imposter syndrome, and this is a a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, (laughs) maybe not so dear, um, because honestly, it's something that Uh, that I struggled with a lot of my career. I have, I really struggled with imposter thoughts and imposter syndrome uh, long before I knew the term, long before I knew what it was. And if you listen to my, the origin story of the, of the podcast, you know that I did my graduate studies on, on leadership and uh, several of my papers that I, I wrote and researched, I looked into imposter syndrome because because it was something that struck so close to me and I knew it was something that I wanted to work on. So I spent most of my coaching career working on imposter syndrome and the majority of it was actually exclusively with women and and although a lot of my clients still are women, um, it's not exclusively so anymore. And I'm going to be coming back to that in a, a little bit later about, about gender and imposter syndrome. Um, but it definitely was something that that I looked at a lot during my my grad studies and research. So I thought I'd start it off by sharing with you the definition of imposter syndrome that I put together based on my research. And what I came up with was this. So imposter syndrome is 
when an individual feels as though it is only a matter of time before someone discovers that they are a fraud and they don't deserve the recognition, awards, or the position that they've attained. So essentially, you might identify with this term, imposter syndrome, if you've ever had secret thoughts that maybe other people are actually better than you, or you feel a really strong fear of failure. And I've seen and participated and, and posted lots of different threads on this over the years. And in Facebook, in a lot of groups, people are um, courageous enough to open up on this. And some of the examples that, that I noticed were people admitting that even though they had successes, they felt like their success wasn't really legitimate. And sometimes it was because other people were, were claiming, their, claiming their work, claiming credit for their work. And other times they felt like their work was being belittled. Um, other examples that I've, I've heard across, you know, in these groups as well as from clients, this is one that comes up quite often, is that you have this secret fear in the back of your mind that your supervisor is going to regret hiring you. You know, I've actually heard from several clients completely separately that they really had this thought even though they knew it was completely irrational but they had this like recurring thought almost like a day nightmare this recurring thought that someone was going to show up at their desk you know at box in hand and say oh no that was a big mistake when we hired you we didn't mean to hire you that was just a big mistake so it really comes around comes out of feeling this this worry this fear that you're not actually good at your job and there's a couple of interesting pieces. So we, we often hear about imposter syndrome these days. One thing I thought was really fascinating is that, you know, it does come out of the psychological um, psychology world and, psych and academics and, and psychology. But it's interesting is they don't actually call it imposter syndrome in psychology. They call it imposter phenomenon, not imposter syndrome. And one of, a couple of interesting truths that came out of that research is that people that, that suffer from this imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome, depending how you want to call it, one of the things is that they're often highly competent. They're actually quite competent. That's very often correlated with these imposter feelings, these imposter thoughts. But there's also this really intense need to outperform. So there's high, high competence and a desire to outperform. Uh, the research also shows that it is often women, although it's not at all exclusive to women. And although I haven't seen the research yet, I personally feel it could be very fascinating to layer on some of our societal uh, expectations and unstated, unstated expectations and societal biases around women and how women may have adapted and, and how they're operating in the workplace. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit when I talk about, about workplaces and the origins of imposter thoughts for people. But the third thought, or the third um, little truth I wanted to share with you, I thought you'd find very interesting, is that people with imposter thoughts or having this imposter phenomenon are not necessarily insecure. So imposter thoughts and insecurity aren't necessarily correlated. No, they might be, right? They, they could very well be, but they're not necessarily correlated. And they, they, what the research was showing is that people with high self-esteem can very easily experience these imposter thoughts. 
And that's really interesting, right? You know, how is it even possible that someone with high self-esteem would have these imposter thoughts? And the, the reason is, what I discovered, was that we can have core beliefs about who we are that are, that are built on high self-esteem. So core beliefs, like, I'm a successful professional, or, you know, I'm really good at what I do. And we can also have thoughts in our brains, sometimes fleeting thoughts, sometimes not so fleeting, about our circumstances or about what's happening. So a thought like, oh, it's only a matter of time before they realize that I have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? And it's those thoughts that are the real problem. They're like these little sneaky imposter messages. So I'll give you a couple of examples of these kinds of imposter messages. Sometimes I call them sneaky imposter messages or kind of these sneaky thoughts that sneak into your brain. Um, some of the ones I've heard over the years. So one I heard, I've heard this several times, is or a variation of this, is, well, you know, it's just, it's so hard to create influence when they only know me as kind. Or another one, oh, I'm having trouble presenting myself as a leader when I'm in the same room as a big personality. Or another third one is, is that, I need to be more assertive. I have a quiet personality. And what these all have in common is that these are all kind of imposter messages that we end up kind of telling ourselves that we don't really fit in. We don't fit in because we're different. We're not like the, the actual powerful people or the actual charismatic people. And, and believe me, I, I get it. <laughs> I have told myself so many of these messages over the years. But they're sneaky, right? Like they get lodged in your brain. And so the real problem is that when we have sort of too many of these messages, or if we have, we have them for so long or so repetitive, they actually start to become a, a core belief about ourselves then often what happens is that we start holding back. Because what I've noticed most of the time, these kinds of messages aren't really objectively true. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share an example about this in a moment. They're not really objectively true, but we start believing them. And so we start acting in ways as though they are true. We start showing up in ways and we kind of, like, we kind of make it a reality. And it's this, um, if you've ever heard the term, the self-fulfilling prophecy. So our brains start telling us messages about how we don't fit in, we're not charismatic, or we don't belong as a leader. And so we start showing up in that way. And so then we start not being the leader. We start not, we're not as assertive because we don't believe we're assertive. And one of the most common ways I hear about this from my clients, and I see it coming up, is that professionals, especially subject matter experts who actually do know quite a lot, but they might start telling themselves these stories, is that professionals start holding back from speaking up in a meeting. So you, know, you might have experienced this, right? Where you have an idea, you have a, a either maybe a question you think about asking or a comment you want to make or an opinion or an observation, but you don't say anything. Because one of those sneaky thoughts might be, oh, that's really dumb, or oh, that's too basic, or that's too simple. That's people, 
And usually what's underneath it is the, well, people will think I'm stupid if I ask that or if I say that or if I make that observation. You might have like a little knot in the pit of your stomach if there's even the tiniest sliver of a chance that you might say something wrong or even worse, you know, look, look dumb, right? And this is, these are the sneaky messages that get in our head. There's probably no objective truth to it. No, you know, you're, you most likely don't have coworkers that would ever think that, but yet we tell ourselves a story and so we hold back. And what's even worse, and I've heard this several times, right? Where you have that time where you, where you want to ask a question, but then you hold back because you think it's a dumb question. And then someone else asks a question and everyone says, wow, that was very insightful. Like, that's the worst, isn't it? So one of the things I, I always, one of the things I talk about in, in my program in um, the Powerful Presence Society, especially when we talk about the, uh, when we talk about imposter thoughts in that, in that module is we talk about how a lot of this, how a lot of the imposter thoughts and even the self-silencing really comes out of all of the unconscious bias and kind of invisible barriers, invisible standards that are in, in the workplace, in the modern organization. They are rampant. There's so much unconscious bias. And we still have, most organizations have that feeling of, having an old boys club, right? You look up at the people in the top or you look at the people who are held up as role models and most of the time they either don't look like you or they don't think like you. And so it's it's hard to see yourself as being seen as a leader. It's hard to see yourself as being see, as being one of the folks who's respected. And this is especially the case if you have a workplace that has a feeling of, well, let's call it kind of the, the alpha male stereotype kind of culture. If it feels like that and, and you feel like you don't belong in that culture, then it's easy to start telling yourself an imposter story because you're actually getting it externally. You know, so much that's been written about imposter syndrome or imposter thoughts kind of puts the... the the blame per se, the onus on on the individual, um, but there there is so much that's caused by the messages. Sometimes they're implicit messages. Sometimes they're explicit messages. So, like the implicit message, to use my example earlier, is when you look up at senior management and you don't see anyone who looks like you, thinks like you, has a similar background as you, sounds like you. Right? That's an implicit message. No one is out there telling you you don't belong. But implicitly, all the signals are, maybe I don't belong here. Now, there's also times when there's explicit messages. And this is, uh, especially with a lot of the work that I've done, I've heard of a lot of examples for, for women, and particularly for those considering having families. Um, now, it may also be the case for, for men as well, but this is particularly the case for women, where so one really good example I heard I heard was when there was someone who was considering starting a family and also wanted to go for a promotion into a VP role, to a senior into a senior executive role. And they were cautioned by mentors within their organization saying, oh, they're not gonna be able to do both. That's that's gonna that's too hard. Um, you're, there's no way you can handle be becoming a new parent and taking on the responsibility of VP. 
that's an explicit message saying that the, an explicit message of not belonging, of creating a divide between where you might want to go and where you are. And um, still on the topic more on gender, but there is something called uh, second generation gender bias. And it's interesting, you know, again, so much of this is, is has been around gender and that's been a lot of my own research, but I know there's a lot of this that would play into many other aspects of unconscious bias. The idea that today's bias is much more subversive. It's not as explicit anymore. There are some examples like I just shared, but so much of it is implicit. And I mean, one of the examples even, so remember earlier I mentioned those three sneaky imposter messages had to do with influence and assertiveness. Well, what's really interesting is that research shows that women are much more likely than a man to receive feedback that they should be more assertive. The problem, of course, is not only does it feed into that sneaky imposter message, but when we get feedback like that, and especially if it's reinforcing an imposter message we have, we actually end up feeling less confident being assertive when we're told we're not being assertive enough. So I wanted to share though that there are there are multi, there are different ways to start working past these imposter messages. There's lots of different ways and what I wanted to share with you today are three of them. Okay, so your first one is that I really want you to identify and focus on your strengths, on what makes you unique, what makes you what makes you tick. And part of this is going through the exercise of recognizing that everyone has a different approach to the world and that's okay. And there's so much power in knowing what your strengths are. And I won't go into a ton of detail here. I will point you towards episode number six, go back a couple episodes to number six, where I, I actually provide most of my training on strengths that comes out of the powerful present society. So you can really dive into what strengths are and why they matter. So with this, with identifying your strengths, I've got kind of two tips around it. The first tip is that I have almost all of my clients take the Clifton Strengths or Gallup Clifton Strengths Finder. And that's an assessment that was designed to help you understand the way you show up in the world and how you achieve success. And it is by far one of the most empowering assessments I've ever come across. And one really cool thing about it too is often the results that you get back, like the languaging, the, the literal words that they provide you are really valuable for, for resumes, cover letters, interviews, because they articulate it quite nicely what your strengths are. So that's a tip for your strength. Um, the other tip that I often share with people is if you're if you're not sure and maybe you haven't taken the Strengths Finder, is that think about what comes easy to you. What comes really easy to you? You know, we often take for granted the things that come easy for us, and we kind of forget that it's not easy for other people. So think about what what you you know what you enjoy doing, but especially what comes easy. And then the the real uh, magic is what comes easy and what do you enjoy. And then really really think about it and spend some time thinking about how you show up at your best. And what this helps do is starts help it starts to help shift shifting your focus from what you might do wrong or what you did wrong and instead focusing on what you're doing well 
and focusing on on those strengths that you have and not just the accomplishments and the kind of check boxes that you've had but but what makes you special what makes you unique okay so that's the first activity now the second activity this this one might take some practice but it's about getting curious so when we have these imposter thoughts when they come sneaking into our brains they basically take over and it they basically uh, it's almost like tricking you but it slips you into using what they call the, the lizard brain and you end up becoming hyper focused on identifying threats and protecting yourself from threats which is very different from when you operate at your higher level executive brain now the executive brain that's where you can make decisions and you can rationalize you can problem solve where you have creativity and that executive brain is so much better at making logical and even intuitive decisions but when you are having your lizard brain kick in it's really hard to show up assertively it's really hard to solve problems and it's really hard to have honest conversations and one way to to snap yourself out of that kind of threat mode out of that defensive mode and get in, back into that executive functioning mode is to get curious because what we know is that curiosity can only happen from the executive brain. So if you can ask questions like genuine curiosity questions, that's when you know you've you've slipped back over to your executive mode, your executive brain. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you're in a meeting with your boss and you're presenting an idea that you've really worked hard to put together. And she says to you, wait, I'm confused. I don't understand what you're trying to do here. Okay. Now, the imposter thought and the lizard brain might go into a full-on panic mode, right, in that moment. Just, like, terrified you screwed up. And when you react from that, you might either get defensive or you might get really tongue-tied trying to explain how you came up with the idea you might become aggressive even, trying to advocate for your idea. Or you might even just totally shut down and not really be able to answer on the spot. And then, you know, have that feeling later on, just kind of kicking yourself, thinking about, oh, I should have said this, this, and this. So what I recommend in a moment like that or another any other kind of time where you're getting into that imposter-fueled lizard brain is take a breath. Take a breath and pause. Sometimes we forget we can pause, even in meetings. We can pause, take a breath, and in your own brain, in that pause, ask yourself a curiosity question. And a really great way to start any curiosity question is, I wonder. I wonder what, especially. So in this case, it might be something like, I wonder what she's confused about. And really practice. This is where the practice comes in. Practice asking yourself questions like that with genuine curiosity. And that's going to help move your brain out of that lizard imposter mode into curiosity mode. And then once you're in that mode, you're in curiosity or at that more executive functioning part of your brain, then you can calmly and from a place of genuine curiosity, ask her. You can say, Oh, okay, can you tell me what aspect is confusing? 
and you can get into a conversation about what it is the other person brought up. And what you'll notice is the curiosity reaction leads to a much more interesting and helpful conversation rather than when we're kind of uh, almost like backpedaling, trying to defend what we did or trying to uh, trying to prevent any kind of criticism, but getting into curiosity and seeing what it is that they're, what they're thinking, what they're seeing. And, and if it doesn't lead to that kind of conversation, it's not interesting, it's not very helpful. Well, maybe we'll, I'll do a separate podcast episode about handle, how to handle that kind of a boss relationship. <laughs> so, okay. With that, let's get to activity number three. And this one this one's an interesting one. So what I want you to do is I want you to write a message to yourself on an index card and tape it to the wall above your laptop. Or if you're still in the office, you can write the message maybe on the, on the inside of your, your notebook to always have with you, be able to refer to. And I want that message to, to be powerful. I want it to be a powerful thought that we can start replacing those imposter thoughts. And I know, I know there's the positive affirmation movement. Like, I know it sounds so cheesy. You know, you're, you're talking to an econ gal who loves data and numbers and rationality and all things evidence-based. And the thing is, is that the positive affirmation movement is so strong because there is, there is a lot of evidence behind it and how it works and giving ourselves positive messaging. And what it is is that we need to start practicing, again with the practice, we need to practice how to replace those imposter thoughts with much more positive and powerful ones. So even think, here's a couple of examples of these kinds of messagings. So it could be, I believe in, trust, and have confidence in myself. That's one. Another one could be, I forgive myself for not being perfect because I know I'm human. And what it does, so what the research shows us, so the scholarly world research that shows us is that the more we practice these affirmations, the more we practice this you know, powerful, positive self-talk, it really reduces what's that threat response. Remember I mentioned earlier about that, that lizard brain taking over? The more positive messaging we give ourselves, the more we reduce that threat response. And if you're not sure about, about an affirmation, when, um, you can always Google it, but I'll also put in the show notes a link to a list from HuffPost. There's 35 affirmations that they have in this list, which I thought they were, it was a really solid list. So I'll put that in the show notes. Now, the one thing I thought was really interesting from the research on these self-affirmations is that there's one really interesting article um, about how timing is everything. So affirmations really work best when they're happening before you feel threatened. So sometimes, you know, we try to tell ourselves these positive stories after something, after an event or a situation, or we've had something happen that creates all these imposter thoughts. But what this article is saying is that you really have to work on it beforehand. So that's why I'm suggesting writing yourself a message. And if you're working from home, you can put it right over your laptop or, or your monitor, somewhere that you can see it, something that you can truly, either something you can believe right now or something that you can work towards believing. 
So I want you to come up with that affirmation that really resonates with you. Write it down. And one little tip on this as well that a couple of my clients have used really effectively is when you're getting ready for a meeting and you're getting out, getting out your notebook to take, to, ha- to take down your notes, is in the corner, um, one client did the bottom right corner, another client liked to use the top corner, write down either that affirmation or another one, but write down a powerful thought for that meeting. And for, for a lot of people I work with, speaking up in meetings is one of the hardest things to do for fear of, again, saying either saying something dumb or being seen as saying something stupid. So I want you instead to give yourself a positive and but a really powerful as well, a powerful thought. And you can write that down in your notebook, right? Just, you know, right where you're going to be seeing it. And that can be a really helpful reminder as long as you make sure that you also remind yourself in the lead up to these events, in the lead up to these meetings. So to, to recap those three exercises I want you to do, first I want you to focus on your strengths, focus on what makes you unique and wonderful. Okay, you do that. And then second, I want you to practice being curious. If you're not used to doing this, you know, don't worry about it if it doesn't come naturally right away. Just practice it. Practice getting there and practice that curiosity. And then the third activity is to, to give yourself that affirmation message and literally, literally write it out. A sticky pad, an index card, something. Have it there where you can physically see it, that physical reminder of that new powerful thought so that you can replace those imposter thoughts. And... The last one, I guess, would be a bonus one, just as a reminder, I will be running that workshop all about how to stop second-guessing yourself. It's uh, from eclipse to supernova, so it's all about you know showing up confidently, showing up powerfully, even if you're second-guessing yourself, even if you're in one of those you know, alpha stereotypical alpha male-dominated workplaces, and you know how to be you and how to do it confidently. So make sure to head over to my website, themintambition.com to get yourself signed up for that workshop totally free. All right, with that, that's all I got for you for this episode and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Now, if this podcast helped you or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes about 20 seconds, if that, and it's, it's honestly the easiest way for you to thank me for this episode. Every time I see a review, it brings me so much joy and it just lights me up. So if you could do that for me, I would be ever so grateful. Now, the other thing you can do is you can take a screenshot of this episode or even a screenshot of your review and send it to a friend or share it in a Facebook group or even post on your LinkedIn newsfeed to let other people know about this podcast and this episode. Thanks again. And now get out there and start breaking some rules.